A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by the All Daf app, Daf Yomi app, which uh, you should definitely download. It has the top uh, Daf Yomi Magidish Yurim from all over. Um, very some very impressive ones. A big variety. We even have a shir in Daf Yomi shir in Yiddish. They have Rebelli Mansur was also very well known in the uh, Sephardic community. All kinds of supplements to the Daf Yomi, reviews, introductions, halacha, more in-depth. They have Jewish history on the Daf, which happens to be my personal favorite, to have Dr. Henry Abramson of Turo College giving little tidbits of Jewish history on the Daf. They have all kinds of uh, Mara Mekaymas and sources, Shi'urim, that include Taisus, Basically everything imaginable, and especially in the current situation, what's going on now, where it may be difficult, unfortunately, to get to the live shear that you normally go to, and you have this uh, available all the time, the old Daf app at home. Uh, you also have the ability to learn the short clips. So you have children who are home from yeshiva who want to study from other mesechtas. There's definitely shiurim from other mesechtas as well, not only on the Daf. So you should download the Old Daf app on Apple, Android. You can go to their website at oldaf.org. I'll post uh, their um, the links uh, on the uh, Jewish History Soundbite platforms as well. Moving along, I really, really hope that everyone is feeling okay. And um, at this time, very challenging situation everywhere. And although I got a few requests to talk about uh pandemics as such through Jewish history, I thought that perhaps the opposite uh, is the case, that we should, you know, find something a bit more upbeat and um, more comforting at a time like this. And very often uh, our tendency is to go to search for fantasy, but being that to escape as an escape mechanism, but being that we're a Jewish history uh, podcast, um, so... Uh, escape into fantasy is not a possibility. So we'll do something similar. Talk about a story in Jewish history that's almost fantasy, that's almost uh, an escape. We tried doing this uh, live yesterday, and it was a bit of a fiasco, and I want to apologize for anyone who tried 
to listen into us live and just the technicals did not work out. So we're going to go back to the old-fashioned audio way. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, Jewish explorers and pirates during the Age of Discovery, during the Age of Exploration, which is the same time, different names. And I want to start off with a story. There's a country in South America called Suriname, uh, near Venezuela, near Brazil, and it's it was a it was back in the day it was a Spanish colony. It changed hands a couple of times, and and it was eventually British. And in the 1650s, 1652, I believe, the um, the Jews, a group of Jews who were um, like we'll we'll discuss further on in this podcast, were um, descendants of the Sephardic diaspora, the Spanish exiles after the expulsion from Spain, from Portugal, which we'll get into hopefully soon. And they form a Jewish, completely Jewish colony um, in Suriname. This was a Jewish agricultural colony. I believe they grew sugarcane. And just like the other colonies in Suriname, they were successful. It was a very wealthy, very successful colony. And they exported back to Europe Shipping Jewish merchants were very well hooked up, and they played a major um, part in the transatlantic trade. They played a major part in actually developing that trade, which is also something we'll hopefully get to later on in this uh, episode. And what happens is, is that being that they're colonists, and especially European colonists in the New World at the time, they were also involved in the slave trade, um, which was a major part of uh, the reality of the colonies of the New World. And in the 17th century, all these sugarcane colonies or tobacco or whatever, whatever they were growing, they utilized uh, slave labor. And the Jews were no exception. And they, um, they had slaves, and some of these slaves ran away. And there were slave revolts, and there were ambushes. And eventually it got so precarious, the situation, that uh, the Jews, which again was similar to what happened at other uh, settlements or colonies in the New World, in Suriname and other places, the Jews, the Jewish landowners, formed a militia to fight back from the revolting slaves, from the invasive uh, groups and rebels coming onto their property and burning crops and other other sorts of uh, invasive uh, qualities. And they formed this armed militia who's trained, who's armed, who fights back. And uh, it, worked for a while. Eventually the colony found uh, disrepair in the 19th century, but in the, in the 18th century, in the 1730s, when this took place, this um, kind of staved off the, the uh, invaders. Now the reason this story is important and interesting is that it sheds new light onto what the Jews, these are descend, like I said, this is 150 years after the expulsion, these are the the results of the Spanish exiles, the diaspora of where these, where the Jews from the, the Iberian Peninsula had spread to all over the world and including the New World. And they reach places of, you know, impressive standing in society, so much so that they have an exclusively Jewish colony with their own shul and wealthy, successful, and so much so that they're able to form a militia to fight off. So in itself, it's a fascinating story, but if we, you know, in the nationalist world that we live in, and looking back at the 20th century, at the course of events of Jewish history, the most significant part of that story in the greater historical context is that as far as we know, 
that militia in far-off Suriname by this little colony of Portuguese Jews, descendants of Portuguese Jews, is the first known organized Jewish fighting force in modern Jewish history. Um, and that, and that, and therefore it takes, that's a very historical significance. Jews on their own, in their own initiative, set up a old Jewish fighting force that was armed and trained in fighting, definitely uh, heralded in a new era in that regard for the Jewish people. So, essentially the Jews, um, in, during the age of exploration, they play uh, already a significant role from the beginning. There are Jewish members of Columbus's crew, Vasco da Gama's uh, crew in his in his explorations. Hernando Cortez, when he in, comes to what's now Mexico, then the Aztec Empire, he had Jews as part of his group of uh, conquistadors. And I practiced the word several times to make sure I got it right, so I hope I did. Now, these were conquerors. These were, you know, and they're remembered in history as the ones who destroyed the Aztec Empire, a small fighting force. In fact, that's also related to uh, what's unfortunately going on uh, now in the world, is that, I'll tell you a cute story, Um, I was in Yad Vashem, where there was a lecture, and the topic of the lecture was genocide throughout history. And putting the, you know, in other words, to put the Holocaust in in the greater uh, context. And the the at some point in lecture the uh, the guy says, "Can anyone give me an example of a genocide in history?" So I raised my hand and I said, "Hernando Cortez, uh, what he did to the Aztec Empire uh, in the early 1500s. I think it was 1510, if I'm not mistaken. Early 1500s. I don't remember exactly the year. Uh, what he did to the Aztecs that was definitely a genocide. He completely wiped them out." And he said, so what this young man said is a perfect example of what's not a genocide. So he put me in my place, and he explained that, you know, it was impossible for a small force like Cortez to wipe out the entire Aztec Empire, and what actually happened was that it was a pandemic. It was smallpox or other diseases that they were not naturally immune to, and it was much more the pandemic, the disease, that wiped out the Aztecs as opposed to Cortez and his force, but among his force was um, Jews as well. Now, most of these Jews were, uh, not, not most, basically all these Jews were were hidden Jews, were new Christians, crypto-Jews, there's quite a few different uh, terms for them. But if we take a step back and talk about how these Jews came to be part of the Age of Exploration and Discovery, the Jews, as we know, were expelled from Spain in 1492, as is as is often said, they were expelled a few years later from Portugal in 1497. In reality, they were not expelled from Portugal. It was a very different situation in Portugal, and it's important to make that distinction. Ironically, the one who wrote about this distinction quite extensively and brought it to light, and was not fully understood until his time, was a historian named Bencio Netanyahu, whose son is uh, making much more headlines than he ever did. So he, he, so what Alfonso, the King Alfonso of, of Portugal did in 1497 was not an expulsion order like Isabel and Ferdinand did a few years earlier in Spain. In reality, it was, he just decided one day to make, you know, like an executive order kind of, um, to make everyone, all Jews in, in Portugal into Christians overnight. He made them Christians, mass baptized them automatically by, 
by a king's order, and they all became Christians. And therefore, the Portuguese Jewish diaspora took on a very different form than the Spanish Jewish diaspora, which was kind of haphazard, which they were, you know, spread out more. The Portuguese Jews remained in more of a cohesive unit because um, there was never the threat of... Uh, of uh, not not never there was always there was always a danger and especially afterwards the Inquisition was in, was pretty active in Portugal but the 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 um, it it just took place in a different way and in fact I would I would definitely run it by management but it would be it would be appropriate to one day have a nice uh, series on the expulsion from Spain and Portugal from the Iberian Peninsula and its after effects um, in Jewish life and Jewish history it could definitely fill. An entire series, and it's a fascinating story. But either way, what it came to be is that the the term Portuguese came to mean Jew. And if there, if if someone was referred to as Portuguese in the New World, it was a code name for Jew. Uh, that was that was that's how, that's how it eventually came about, and we see that in the documentation from that era even already. And uh, so very often we'll see that a group of Portuguese. We're, uh, we're, we're part of this in this endeavor, uh, and, it, and, and it means they were hidden Jews, new Christians, crypto-Jews, Anusim, all the different terms that are used to describe, or how they describe themselves, or how others describe them. Um, and, and, uh, and that's how they joined the original Age of Discovery. Many of them become colonists, they join the merchant class, and eventually they become the masters of the merchant class. They they are they they're in Peru in the 16th century. They're they're at the top of the silver trade of the you know the the gold the gold trade the tobacco trade. In fact, it was one of Columbus's crew members who discovered tobacco and its potential for what for it to become a commodity to be developed and cultivated and sold back to mainland Europe. Um, the sugar cane and, and so on and so forth. The slave trade too. They're very active in the slave trade like everyone else. And that's, that's, uh, essentially what happens in the 16th century. And that's the original age of exploration and discovery. We move along to the 17th century and that's where things really get interesting because what happens in the 17th century is that the Inquisition catches up with them in the New World. They live as hidden Jews. And they're trading back in Europe with open Jews who had run away to parts of the Ottoman Empire, uh, mainly, mainly to the Ottoman Empire, which we'll get to in a second. And they're also dealing with hidden Jews. They're, they're dealing with other hidden Jews on the other side of the Atlantic, back in Spain, in Portugal, or in other countries. And they're, they have sometimes even members of the same family who some are living hidden, some are living openly as Jewish, and some of them are travelers so they sometimes live hidden and sometimes live openly. And it's a very interesting situation in Jewish history, which is, I think, often overlooked, that you have this entire community of Jews who are in a diaspora in, all over the world. A lot of them have economic ties. Uh, a lot of them are trading with each other. Some of them are living hidden. Some of them are living openly. And some are living both. And what does that do to Jewish communal life, rabbinic life? A lot of interesting things. I mean, family life. A lot of them marry marry each other also. So, but in the 17th century, the Inquisition catches up with them. And the Inquisition sets up in, instead of in Mexico and Peru and, and other places, and there's auto da fe's, and Jews are burned at the stake if they're caught, or these new Christians are caught practicing anything uh, Jewish. 
and uh, they're on the run again. And now um, things get interesting because where are they going to run to? There's not many places in the world for Jews uh, that are that, where they're allowed to live. Um, Spain, obviously, Spain and Portugal are out of the question. Um, France and England had many years before Spain thrown out the Jews, uh, hundreds of years before them. And they're definitely not allowed to live there, although in England things were starting to change, especially after this British Civil War and Oliver Cromwell, which is a whole story also, another story, perhaps for another day. And, and, they, and the principal place that the Spanish diaspora Jews moved to, the Sephardic diaspora, is the Ottoman Empire. Of course, there's a large Jewish community in Poland. They're at their, they're at their golden age at the time. But where most of the Sephardic uh, exiles go is the Ottoman Empire, which welcomes them in. And here's another factor which is also overlooked, is that when Ferdinand and Isabella made the expulsion order, it was not specifically towards Jews, it was to non-Christians. They were out for the Catholic Church, and non-Christians were no longer welcome in Spain, in their areas of Spain. And... And uh, and Muslims were just as not welcome, and Muslims were thrown out, and uh, Muslims mainly moved to the areas of the Ottoman Empire, and the Jews and the Muslims in the Ottoman Empire kind of made a partnership of convenience, not only for trade, not only as common victims of the Spanish, but eventually, and this is where piracy comes in, eventually to strike back and get revenge at the Spanish. And the original Jewish pirates are not in the New World, which we'll get back to, they're actually in the Mediterranean. They're active in the Mediterranean, not only against the Spanish, against others also. And um, these, you have to understand that pirates weren't just lawless uh, criminals in those days. They were had a basically a semi-legal or even fully legal status under the protection of different empires, and every kingdom, every king, every empire had their pirates, had privateers who they hired, which were basically, uh, you know, um, people with their own boats and their own ships, and they specialized in seizing treasure ships, trade ships, merchant ships from other countries, and they would uh, they would give a percentage to their protector. They were protected by by the navy ostensibly of the of this other of the country that they kind of worked under or subcontracted for and they um and they uh and they would would work together with them they would split the split the money so they weren't weren't like a a criminal group they were a recognized and pretty much legit uh a group so they they they're out in the mediterranean working with muslims working with the ottoman uh, in the Ottoman Empire, they had some quite famous pirates there. There was Sinan Reis, who was a Jewish pirate, who uh, his exploits became the stuff of legend. Um, they had an even more interesting character, who was actually a rabbi, he came from a family of rabbanim. He grew up in Morocco, Reb Shmuel Falachi, and he was a privateer, a pirate. He was uh, later in his life, he was one of the founders of the Amsterdam Jewish community, which was to play a major role in the relationship with the uh, Spanish and Portuguese Jews in the New World. The, the Amsterdam Jewish community is founded by Spanish and Portuguese Jews, and they become from the wealthiest Jews in the world. And, all, make sure, and they make sure that all their portraits are painted by Rembrandt, who was living in Amsterdam at the time. And he's one of the founders of that community. And he was a rabbi. 
and from a family of rabbis. But he also was a pirate. In his 60s, he was still a pirate. And he looked at what he was doing as a mission. It wasn't out of greed for money, like many other pirates at the time. It was to strike revenge at Spain. Look what the Spanish did to the Jewish people, to his own... I mean, he, he wasn't directly involved, it wasn't his family, but to his brethren, to, to, to the Jewish people, the, the, ex, the expulsion, the ongoing inquisition, and the persecution of hidden Jews. And this was a way to get back. So he has... Uh, an interesting career, and um, and these Jewish pirate ships sometimes have Jewish names. Sometimes they're called, and one was called the Shield of Abraham, the Magen Avraham, or the Queen Esther, and stuff like that. They would actually name it and evoke the memory of Jewish names. And when you go to the other side of the Atlantic, to the Jewish pirates in Jamaica, it was recently discovered uh, in recent years the Jewish cemeteries in some of these old Jewish colonies in Jamaica and other places where there's ancient Jewish tombstones with Hebrew writing on them that have the Jolly Roger. You have a Yoho and a bottle of schnapps. That's basically, even though Spanish and Portuguese Jews would have never used the term schnapps, but you have real Jews who have the Jolly Roger, and they were proud enough of it to inscribe it on their tombstone. If you Google, if you go onto Google Images today, and you Google the words, Jewish pirates, the first picture that comes up, or one of the first, is a picture of a tombstone with the Jolly Roger. Well, a Jewish tombstone with Hebrew lettering, inscription. And and that was a reality. And over here on the other side of the land, if, if in the Mediterranean, the alliance was made between the Jews and the Ottomans, the Muslims, on the other side of the Atlantic, in the Caribbean, it was made between the Jews and the Dutch and the English. Because the Dutch and the English, the Spanish had built an empire, and the wealth that Spain had from the New World was something that the European powers are very jealous of. And they wanted to get a foothold in this New World. And the Dutch and the British are doing anything they can to gain a foothold there. The Dutch eventually get part of Brazil away from the Portuguese. They get Recife, Brazil, and when they take over that area, they allow Jews to settle there. For about 25 years, Jews did settle there. These were, again, Portuguese Jews who had been persecuted by the Inquisition. Now they become extremely wealthy. They deal with the international trade with the Jewish community in Amsterdam, which is Holland, Dutch. And in fact, if you go to the Spanish-Portuguese synagogue in uh, in um, Amsterdam till today, the, in inside of the main main shul, the main sanctuary, there are these impressive oak panels, which again it's built three hundred years ago, almost four hundred years ago, and uh, and and it was and it was shipped from Recife, Brazil, by the Jews to help them build this uh, this shul, and uh, again attests to the wealth and to the connection to the Jews in the New World, the international network that Jewish merchants were able to make and made them so. Um, uh, so useful to the Dutch and the British, and they, the uh, the Jews always went on their side, and they actually helped them in their uh, you know getting a foothold in the New World, especially in the case of Jamaica, um, when when the Portuguese gets get Brazil gets that area of Brazil back from the Dutch, they throw out the Dutch, so the Jews are on the run again. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? So they had, they one one of the ships wanted to head towards New Amsterdam, which eventually became New York much later, 
and which was a Dutch colony then. They didn't make it. They made it to Jamaica. Now Jamaica was a unique was a unique story. Jamaica was an is is an island uh, off of near Cuba, Caribbean. And Jamaica was one of the only places, only territories in the entire New World that was not owned by an empire, kingdom, king, or anything. It was owned by Columbus's family, which is a very unique situation. Not only is it a unique situation, but it gives a lot of fodder to the conspiracy theorists who would like to claim that Columbus himself was a Jew, which I'm definitely not getting into, and uh, we'll leave it, we'll leave that for the conspiracy theorists. And and the the, you know, the one who actually talks about the Jamaica story and all the Jewish pirate stories, the best book on the topic, one of the best books on the topic, one of the most entertaining books for sure on the topic, was Edward Kurtzler's The Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, great book, very well written. There are several books, but he did a, a wonderful job in really covering the topic in a very easily readable, uh, nice way. So you might want to get a hold of that book uh, as well. But um, either way, in Jamaica, so it was owned by Columbus's family. So there are lots of hidden, and there's no Inquisition there. There's no power that the Inquisition could have. There's, there was a very successful community of Portuguese hidden Jews living on the island. And now these open Jews who had just come from Brazil and were forced to leave because the Portuguese had retaken it, they join up with this hidden Jewish community. And now that, and now there's a threat of Portuguese invasion of Jamaica. And this is when they reach out to the British. And they say, we'll help you take over this island. We can tell you the weak spots. We can help you conquer it. We'll welcome you. And it'll be good for you. And they essentially invite the British to take over the island. It becomes the first British colony in the New World with the help of the Jews. The Jews enable the British Empire to get into the New World, to get in, to get to Jamaica, and this partnership is a very fruitful. The, Jamaica becomes one of the wealthiest colonies in the New World, mainly, I think, either tobacco or sugar cane. If I remember which now, it just slipped my, my mind. And uh, piracy becomes a major operation on the island as well, because it's in the middle of the Caribbean. The, Span the treasure ships of the Spanish main are going on the high seas to bring the treasure back to Spain, they pass right through the Caribbean, and Jamaica is, sits on a strategic area. So there are Jewish pirates themselves. Uh, there was Moses uh, Henrique, uh, uh, Henrique Cohn, Cohn Henriquez, and he, um, he was a Jewish pirate to, who worked together with, uh, with other pirates, and they were actually quite successful. They even were able to capture uh, a, a, a fleet of uh, Spanish treasure ships sailing on the high seas, one of the most successful operations in the history of piracy. And, um, and he was a Jewish pirate as well. But it wasn't only the Jewish pirates, it was their role in piracy. Jewish merchants invite probably the most famous pirate of his era, Henry Morgan, who was obviously not Jewish, a British pirate and one of the most, uh, most uh, impressive pirates of that time. They invite him to Jamaica to set up his base of operations out of Port Royal in Jamaica. And they support him, and they uh, enable him to do it, and they obviously take cut of his uh, operations. And the Jewish merchants will become extremely wealthy through all this trade to back to Europe, including their involvement in piracy. The pirates have a safe home base in Jamaica. It was not easy for pirates to find a friendly area that would welcome them in. And they are officially under the cover of the British, 
under the protection of the British, with the support of the local Jewish community. And these buccaneers, as they were known, they uh, they they made you know they made life miserable for the Spanish, and they even liked to say the Jews and the pirates liked to say that they had a hand in bringing down the Spanish Empire. There are obviously a lot of factors in what went uh, bringing down the Spanish Empire, but piracy might have played a minor role in meddling in with their economic operations, with their navy, and uh, definitely um, um, had had they definitely can have that. Uh, somewhat of a claim in, in having that role. So Jews play a role both in as explorers, as merchants, as developing trade. Jews in Amsterdam were involved in the Dutch West India Company, in the shares, they were shareholders there, they developed it, the trade routes, banking, and in piracy itself, especially with some of these unique stories of specifically Jewish pirates and their operations. So this was a little bit about Jewish pirates and explorers, this is Yehudi Gabriel with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and hopefully very soon back to normal, to trips and tours, to places of interest to Jewish history. Don't forget to download the All Daf app for all your Daf needs, and you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites and on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at jsoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.